This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hey, it's your host, David Rothkopf. I'm in New York City today because it's Thursday, uh, uh, the day after a debate and a day when a lot of other stuff is going on. And we are very fortunate to be joined today by, from Washington, D.C., Mika Oyang of Third Way, where she runs the security programs there. Hi, Mika. Hello. And Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School, who is, where are you, Rosa? I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. Beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. And I think from Vermont, we have not Bernie Sanders, but Vermont's second best known resident, David Sanger. Is that correct? You're in Vermont, David? I am. I'm looking around for Bernie's camp that he was talking about I, during David, the, the debate. And, uh, aren't I, I you think at your I own find- summer camp? I, I'm, at my, I'm at my very own summer camp. It's not within sight of Bernie's. And I'm betting that Bernie bought one of Rose's silos in upstate Vermont, you know, to the places where we used to keep our missiles. Um, but I, I don't have that nailed down yet. I'm working on it. Well, that. after the way some of the other Democratic candidates went after him last night during the debate, I bet he and Bloomberg are getting a silo together. Could be. Could be, but, you know, this will continue the great Sanger family tradition of accidentally locating yourself near the getaway White House of incoming presidents, because I think you had some history that plunked you down near the bushes at one point, and you could be very close to the Vermont White House in no time at all, David. Well, you know, I'm even closer to where um, Calvin Coolidge uh, had his um, homestead and where he was sworn in as as president. And um, you used to have him on as a guest, didn't you, David? Yeah, that was when I was just early on. First, ten, <laughs> first Early podcasting days. It was, yeah, yeah, the first 10 years of Deep State Radio. It, they were short podcasts since he was known as Silent Cal. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, right. We, we, started, we started with William Howard Taft from the bathtub. He got stuck in at the White House. That was our first podcast. Um, but Let's not dwell on the past. Let's focus on what's going on now. Um, uh, Regardless of which one of the Democrats ends up winning the White House, we may all be uh, breathing a sigh of relief because uh, Donald Trump has been uh, uh, on a a kind of uh, authoritarian uh, warpath in the past couple of weeks, ever since the end of the impeachment investigation. And uh, has been making some remarkable statements and and some remarkable decisions from the point of view of some in the national security uh, side of things. uh, Few really measure up to the decision to make, even temporarily, uh, Rick Grinnell, our ambassador to Germany, the acting director of national intelligence, given that he has no intelligence experience. Uh, but let's let's hear from everybody on what this may mean, uh, keeping in mind that the latest from the New York Times is that there is a March 11th deadline uh, by which time 
the whomever is the acting must move along unless the president nominates somebody permanently, in which case then Grinnell can stay uh, while that person is confirmed, which could take a number of months. In any event, Mika, I've been interested in some of the comments you've had on 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 the, on the Twitterverse uh, about this. Why don't you start, and then we'll go around to everybody. Yeah. So in an earlier life, I was the budget monitor for the ODNI, and so spent some time um, assessing that institution fairly critically. Um, and I think you know Rick Grinnell is certainly someone who's very troubling as a political appointee, but sort of troubling in keeping with the ways that the Trump administration has already deeply unsettled everything that we believe about national security to be good and productive. Um, so then the question to me becomes like, okay, well, how much damage could he do in this period? And I've been thinking about it a lot. Like, luckily for people who are concerned about this, a couple of things that sort of, I think are silver linings to this whole thing or reasons why we shouldn't panic just yet one is, as you know, it's a temporary assignment through March 11th unless the president nominates someone else. So there's not a lot of time to get into the business of the ODNI. Um, the second thing is that the ODNI itself is a fairly weak institution um, for a number of reasons in its creation and always has been. Yes, it's the principal intelligence briefer to the president, but it doesn't really have... <clears throat> um, operational or a strong analytic core. It has a lot of persuasive authority in the IC and in the intelligence community. And that really comes from um, how credible the holder of the job is seen by the other intelligence agencies as to whether or not they can corral them and get them to do things or together. Otherwise, the, the Hill and the presidency and other things that sort of are independent and separate and deeper than the DNI, which is the other thing is that Grinnell is somebody who is a, is fairly recent to the work of government and also uh, an ambassador and more political. He doesn't really understand the business of intelligence. So he's not someone who can get in there and really cause a lot of damage or permanent damage that can't be, could not be undone. Um, Unlike in some other agencies, for example, Bill Barr over at the Attorney General's office, who is really undermining fundamentals of the rule of law and the way that we um, seek justice in this country by because he actually knows what to do there. Um, that is actually to me much more problematic than what Rick Grinnell could do, you know, over the next 20, 30 hundred days, um, with the exception of one thing, which I'm trying to figure out whether or not he has the authority to do or not, and I don't have a good answer on it yet, um, and that would be uh, Grinnell himself has been on a war path against uh, this Chinese company Huawei and their attempts to sell their, their audacity and trying to sell their telecommunications equipment all over the world and compete with Europeans in this space. Um, we have some real problems with the way the Chinese may use their telecommunications networks and lean on their companies to give them uh, an advantage. Um, but Grinnell has threatened cutting off intelligence sharing with our allies if they consider buying this Chinese equipment. Um, those risks, if he were able to pull them off, would be really damaging. 
I'm not sure how much permanent damage uh, Grinnell could do. Okay. David, what do you think? Well, a few things. Um, Grinnell is, of course, an ideologue. Uh, he's much more cut out of the, the cloth of, say, a Mike Pompeo than the current um, acting DNI, Joe McGuire, uh, who uh, would have to leave uh, in early uh, uh, March. So the interesting question is, why is it that the president isn't that interested in keeping McGuire there, somebody who is pretty compliant to him? And we think we may have come up with the answer. We just recently posted a story uh, on the Times website about this. Um, while he wasn't thrilled with McGuire to begin with, on February 13th, not terribly long ago, there was a briefing, a closed briefing for both Democrats and Republicans in the uh, House Intelligence Committee. It included Adam Schiff, of course, the California Democrat who led the impeachment proceedings uh, against President Trump. And in the course of this, they did an assessment of what was going on for the 2020 election. And uh, the key to the assessment was given by Shelby Pearson, who works for McGuire at DNI and is a pretty blunt um, offerer of intelligence. And uh, Pearson made the case that uh, their new assessments indicate that the Russians are planning to come back in 2020, no surprise there, and to do so on President Trump's behalf, which you could argue a little bit about left and right, about how useful he may be to, the, uh, to, the, to President Trump uh, in the future. But the next day, when the president heard that this briefing had been given, he had a huge argument with McGuire about whether or not in the presence of Adam Schiff, they should have presented evidence that the Democrats could use that the Russians were going to interfere in the election on Trump's behalf. And lo and behold, a week later, we hear Grinnell was going to be the next acting um, uh, uh, DNI. Now, these two things could be completely coincidental, but they may not be. <laughs> yeah, that's very uh, gentle of you, David. Uh, Rosa, they could be completely coincidental that the president heard that the acting DNI, uh, Joe McGuire, had somebody go and say the Russians were going to weigh in on his behalf. And according to the story that uh, described this, I think in the New York Times, uh, the president was concerned that this information could be weaponized by the Democrats. Uh, and so he wanted to quash it. And the next thing you know, McGuire is gone after having been dressed down. And in comes this stooge, Rick Grinnell, uh, who is willing to uh, toe the president's line, um, uh, is a close insider with the family, considered a family friend. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's consistent with Trump's behavior since he took office, um, which is to say anything to um, minimize perceptions of the Russia connection and to protect the Russians. Um, now, it's a short-term appointment, but, of course, his next appointment could either go on and on and on, which would extend Grinnell's appointment, uh, or could be somebody else who is of a similar ilk. You recall that he had uh, uh, thought about Representative Ratcliffe, who was another uh, party loyalist for this job, uh, but uh, his nomination uh, went asunder. What do you think of all of this, Rosa? 
Well, I, I, I'm actually surprised that he's even bothering to fill the position since he seems perfectly happy to leave numerous other key senior positions uh, in the national security universe vacant for extended periods of time. Um, I, I actually thought the McGuire's days were numbered um, uh, from the time that he testified about the whistleblower in Congress. Um, I, I'm actually surprised that Trump didn't dump him even sooner because you'll recall that uh, when he was pressed on uh, the Ukraine whistleblower, uh, he said, among other things, he said, uh, I'm not going to reveal his name. He did exactly the right thing. He followed all procedures. Um, you know, he he acted exactly as we tell our people they're supposed to act. And you know, you could sort of picture Trump getting you know redder and redder and uh, puffier and puffier as as he heard this. So I, I'm actually just surprised he's lasted this long. Uh, and I'm not sure why Trump is even bothering to fill this vacancy. As I said, one of the many bizarro things about this is that. Um, Grinnell, who has been, uh, you know, a thorn in the side of the Germans uh, for some time now, since he was appointed ambassador to Germany, and he's been driving the Germans bananas by being a, an asshole, um, uh, is apparently not going to step down from his position as ambassador to Germany while he serves as acting DNI. He's simply going to take both jobs simultaneously. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether there is any precedent for that or, you know, it seems like one of those things that ought to be against the rules and maybe it is, or if there isn't a rule against that, there probably should be one. Um, not that Trump has ever really cared about the rules, um, but just the, the, there are so many things that are weird uh, and bizarre about this, not least of which is that and, I mean, maybe this goes back to Mika's point about um, how much harm can the guy really do? Um, uh, he's going to be treating this as a sort of part-time job. Uh, you know, when he isn't busy being ambassador to Germany, maybe he'll give whatever time and energy he happens to have left over to the task of uh, ensuring the integrity of the intelligence gathering of the United States of America and protecting the intelligence community. I don't think he's going to have a lot of time left over after all of those, you know, diplomatic cocktail parties he goes to, um, assuming the Germans invite him to any anymore. Admittedly, maybe they don't. Um, but but yeah, this is just a this is just a yet another um, embarrassing Trump appointment um, where probably the best we can hope for is that. Uh, he doesn't do too much harm. Well, Mika, as usual, Rosa is trying to cast things in the best possible light uh, because it's not just that he's unqualified to do this job uh, or that he is, uh, to quote Rosa, an asshole. Uh, both those things are true. Uh, he's also going to retain his job as ambassador to Germany uh, and thus presumably continue to do some of this job from Germany uh, which would have uh, a, a essentially be a foreign uh, intelligence a bonanza for foreign intelligence. Well, especially, especially if you can get Huawei to build their 5G network over there <laughs> during his week and a half as DNI. Yeah, or he that, can use really good, yeah. Gordon Sondland's <laughs> cell phone to call the president. Um, uh, but 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 Rosa only describes one of his jobs. He's also, I think, ambassador at large for Kosovo and. Some other set of issues in the former yeah, well, Yugoslavia. Yeah, very, very small, so that that's okay. That's true, but you know he's got several jobs, and it 
you know, there, there's there's several trends <laughs> trends afoot here. One up, one I up, mean, what's another country? Yeah. What's one more country, more or less. And as we know, those European countries are small. That's why back during the uh, presidential campaign season in 2016, President Trump said it wouldn't even really matter if uh, there was a very small nuclear war in Europe because the countries are all very small. So he really, you know, we know that they're small. We know that they're unimportant to Donald Trump. And there's no reason that that he couldn't really be ambassador. Why not to every country at the same time? Well, that's true. And, you know, interestingly, you know, despite all of this, the Republican Party has come out uh, supporting this. Uh, uh, people like Hugh Hewitt, the uh, one of the commentators that defends the president, was talking about how, uh, you know, it's not a strange appointment. He has a lot of diplomatic experience. He worked in the UN, although he neglected to note that he was a, a flack at the UN, uh, and that his tenure in Germany as a diplomat has been catastrophically bad. Uh, in fact, reports were that the Germans were delighted to hear that Grinnell was getting this new job until they discovered that he would actually still be staying in Germany um, doing the job. But the, the broader point, if he's there for short term or, or medium term, is that the president seems to be populating his administration with loads of acting um, uh, appointees so that he doesn't need Senate confirmation. He doesn't have to go through hearings. They are beholden only to him. And he can appoint people based on his criteria, loyalty, as opposed to statutory criteria. So, for example, the DNI actually is required by statute to have extensive intelligence experience, which Grinnell does not have. So this is another example of how a president sidesteps. Define extensive. Does that have to be more than five minutes? More or, than, or yeah. can it be less? Well, I don't know. You know, Senator Blount said, well, he's got a lot of intelligence experience because he's been briefed. Uh, so, you know... Um, that, that I guess defines extensive. Anyway, Mika, it's, a, it's part of a broader pattern. Maybe you would like to opine on that. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly true that he has a preference for acting, uh, officials in large part because it gives him leverage over folks and he's trying to hold all the decision-making power, you know, back at his, you know, at the white house. And frankly, I think he doesn't want a DNI and frankly, a number of other positions doing anything. He wants them to stop, to block them from doing things. He doesn't want them to convey whistleblower complaints that they're required to give by statute. He doesn't want them to actually produce reports on what our adversaries are doing when those reports are in contrast with what he says. I think there are a lot of things that he would just prefer um, that, that people not do. And, and you know, and, Acting people often are not in a position to be able to uh, to do things. Um, look, it is also true, though, that Grinnell is not the first um, non-intelligence official to hold the position of the DNI. In fact, the very first DNI was uh, John Negroponte, who's <clears throat> been unfortunately recently in the news lately. Um, and he was an ambassador, and he had a, a much larger number, held a much larger number of diplomatic positions. But he also came out of that State Department tradition. It's just that Grinnell has done very little relative to what Negroponte has done. Well, let's let's be uh, fair. Can John, I make a, a John, quick point here, David, about about what the DNI is supposed to have been do, doing in the past week that ha, or two weeks that have not happened. 
Yeah, um, well, yeah just, wildly... just, just, just one second, because I, th I would like to clarify this. John Negroponte had decades of experience in super sensitive, uh, intelligence-laden roles within the State Department. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite different from the Grinnell situation. That's all I wanted to add. Go ahead, David. Yeah, so um, one of the, the roles of the DNI, back to John Negroponte's uh, time there, is to provide a public um, worldwide threat assessment, which has always in the past three or four years had a detailed assessment of um, the uh, risk to future elections. And my guess is that that briefing that set the president off was the private briefing of the Intelligence Committee on the Worldwide Threat Assessment. They had asked the DNI and all the intelligence heads to come out for the annual public description, the declassified description. And the intelligence community did not want to do it because you'll recall that last year when they did, the president got very upset. He didn't like the fact that they said at the time that Iran was complying with the nuclear deal. They're not anymore, but they were at the time. He didn't like the fact that they said that the North Koreans were continuing to build nuclear weapons. He didn't like the fact that they said that ISIS had reconstituted in some areas, all of which contradicted things President Trump had said. So my guess is that part of what you're watching happening is the brewing dispute that's come out from the reluctance of the intelligence community to be caught out again saying something that would anger the president. And of course, the first thing you want a DNI to be able to do is give truthful intelligence, whether it angers the president or not. Well, there's that. Um, th th you know, Rosa, the other thing, though, that strikes me is Trump has been so defined by the Russia case that almost, well, not everything that he does, but of a huge number of his moves, particularly in the National Security Fund, end up being defined by this. This is one. You know, um, uh, the, 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 there's an investigation going into whether the intelligence community abused their authority in investigating him the first time around, which is designed to have a chilling effect on the intelligence community with regard to the second time around. Barr is in charge of that. Um, having Barr in charge of, you know, the, the, the Justice Department in charge of an intelligence community-related uh, function uh, ruffled a, a lot of feathers as well. Um, even today's decision by the court to sentence um, Roger Stone to 40 months uh, in prison um, uh, with the possibility at any moment of a Trump pardon uh, echoes this whole thing because as the judge uh, Amy Berman Jackson said today in the in the in the in in her uh, uh, decision that you know what Roger Stone was being convicted of was covering up for the president hiding the fact that the president was uh, uh, you know involved or the campaign may have been perceived to have been involved with the Russians and all this comes in a week in which there's another story which again may be very dubious but the lawyers for Julian Assange argued that a representative of President Trump, uh, a, rep, a former representative Dana Rohrabacher, um, presented Assange with the opportunity to be pardoned in the U.S., provided Assange said that Russia had not intervened in the election. It just 
you know, wherever you look this week, you know, 2020, three, three, three and a half years after all this stuff started to happen, um, the president still seems obsessed by this. Well, as 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 he should be, since if he can't succeed in covering this all up, it could end his presidency and eventually land him in jail, even if it doesn't end his presidency. So, you know, <laughs> it makes perfect sense that he is obsessed with this. This is a, uh, you know, this is his legacy, such as it is, uh, and possibly even his personal freedom at some point in time. Um, so, of course, he is scrambling on every possible front to try to cover things up. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff in what you just said there, David, and I, I'm not sure which which pieces to, to pick up on. Um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll just pick up on a, a couple of things that you said. You know, one of the – so I don't think it's a bad thing in principle to have the Justice Department have some ability to investigate the intelligence community. Um, in principle, right? Because we have seen in the past, uh, there have been abuses by the intelligence community and the inherent challenge of uh, all government agencies that of necessity operate largely in the dark um, is that it becomes very, very hard to, to know what they're doing and to know whether they're doing what they should be doing and to know whether they're abusing their powers. Uh, and there certainly have been examples in the past of the intelligence community um, violating U.S. laws, using uh, their powers to investigate people for political and ideological reasons, et cetera. And that, of course, um, you know, you and David, since you go back to Calvin Coolidge, will will remember this uh, better than I, since I was only a, a child. Um, but that is why we had the church committee, uh, and that is why we've had various legislation since the since the Watergate era, attempting to ensure more checks and balances for the intelligence community itself. The the problem, of course, at the moment, and this is what we're seeing in our country right now, um, is that the checks and balances only work when we make them work and when enough players in the political process are willing to allow them to do their work, um, you know, that the, the presumption is that you're not going to have one individual, one president, one party completely corrupt multiple major institutions at the same time. Um, and so that they can be checks on one another. And I think what we've been seeing with Donald Trump is that he you know, he, he really does function like a, a organized crime figure rather than like any presidents that we've seen in the recent past. He even manages to make Richard Nixon look pretty good. Um, you know, and he is sort of systematically attempting to undermine, uh, discredit, damage or corrupt every institution we have, uh, public and public and private, you know, from from attacks on the media and attempts to manipulate the media himself to attempts to uh, undermine independent efforts by investigators such as Bob Mueller or the impeachment uh, process by Congress. You know, so 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 our problem right now is 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 not that in principle, it's bad to have the Justice Department investigate the intelligence community's activities, but rather that when you have uh, such a seriously degraded system 
um, nothing works. You know, the checks and balances stop working, as, as we have seen. Um, um, there was something else I was going to say, but now I can't remember what it was anymore. Um, so I'll stop right there. For somebody younger than David and I, you seem to be having memory loss more frequently. I. <laughs> it was a long, complicated question. <laughs> well, there, there's that. I would... Oh, Julian Assange, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 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 I know what else I want to say. It's coming back to me. Thank you, David. Um, it's all coming back to me now. Um, I, I have very mixed feelings about, about all these pardons, because on the one hand, I believe quite deeply that our criminal justice system is badly flawed and that in general, we give out sentences that are much harsher than they need to be across the board. And the, the pain of that is, is felt most keenly by the poor and by people of color who make up the vast majority of the residents of uh, U.S. and state uh, prisons. Um, so on the one hand, you know, when, when we see Trump pardoning people, uh, you know, part of me thinks, well, yeah, you know, pardon everybody or, you know, cut everybody's sentences because no question when you compare U.S. sentencing practices to those of uh, other uh, democratic countries, other so-called rights-respecting countries, um, we, we consistently give sentences that are absurdly harsh. Um, the, the downside, of course, is that uh, President Trump is not looking for, uh, uh, you know, particularly deserving cases. He's, he's, this is all nepotism all the time here, uh, for the most part. And he is pardoning both his own cronies and he is pardoning people who've been convicted of precisely the types of corruption, uh, that he himself practices or aspires to practice, um, which, which in the context of his other activities to undermine and corrupt uh, all the various checks and balances that we have, uh, the pardon power is very dangerous because it, it, it becomes you know, one more way to say, you can break the laws with impunity as long as you break, you break laws in ways that favor me, President Trump, the President of the United States, I'll just pardon you if you do. So let's go to simpler question, since I, that one was it was clearly too long. We only have about eight ten minutes, so perhaps each one of you could give an answer. Too hard. Couple, no, no, I'm framing. It's just framing. There's no question here. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, clearly one of the implications here is that the president is going to try to do what he can to cover up any Russian intervention between now and 2020. The Senate isn't funding the kind of protection for the elections that it needs to be funding. Um, the, the, the woman, uh, Pearson, who made this um, uh, testimony in front of the House uh, Intelligence Committee uh, clearly is the person who triggered the president's ire. One could well imagine, whether Grinnell's in the job for three weeks or three or four or five months, that he might be able to quash people who would speak out on this subject at a very sensitive moment, which is to say the run-up to the presidential election, and that you get a message from Donald Trump via this kind of action, what he's doing with Bill Barr, what he's doing um, potentially with pardons, what he's doing uh, 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 it's, you know, across the board, that he's gonna do everything in his power to quash this, and if you cross the line and you talk about the Russians, you're gone. Um, what's the consequence of that, Mika, as we look towards a fair 2020 election? Yeah, it means that 
we are not going to be able to attract people who actually put the nation's security interests first into these jobs. And so this is a serious ongoing threat to the United States. <clears throat> this attack is still happening from 2016 to 2020. It is still happening. And the people who need to respond to this attack and who would be good at responding to this attack are going to be discouraged from doing so, leaving us wide open to having this, this election decided not by Americans about who leads us, but by Russians about who leads us. And certainly the Russians do not have America's best interests at heart. It is in their interest to see us laid low, to break our alliances, to have us distrust our own government, to have us distrust democracy generally. And whether or not the president is in direct coordination with Russia or not, he's certainly behaving in a way that is consistent with all of their interests. And we are not going to have people saying, here are the things you need to be looking out for. Let's convene people to put a stop to this. Let's convene DHS groups to report on election interference or deal with cyber threats to the election system. <clears throat> he was fundamentally undermining one of the biggest strategic decisions that Americans make for themselves, which is our election. David, what's the latest on this cyber threat? Are, are, are new things bubbling up that are on your radar? Absolutely. Uh, we have a story uh, in the paper today about how the Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, has just accused the Russian GRU of conducting a, uh, an attack on um, the Republic of Georgia. Um, the reason it raised hackles for Americans is that the intelligence community was concerned that this may be a way for the Russians to practice what they could be trying in 2020. Oh, We've I th seen. I uh, thought Pompeo was pissed off that it was the wrong Georgia, and that if only. Well, it could have could have been. Yeah. Um, uh, the um, uh, we've seen other examples of warnings uh, from the Department of Homeland Security that the Russians were now inside Iranian cyber warfare units and uh, could mount attacks that looked like they were coming from Iran. We've seen new tactics that the Russians uh, have been using. So this whole effort right now to basically quash any public discussion from the intelligence community of the Russians coming back in after the elections is pretty wild and uh, pretty dangerous as well. So it looks like, Rosa, the message, if you're Vladimir Putin, and I know you two are close, is have at it, man. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna support you. We're going to cover up for you. We asked you to do it last time around. We're asking you to do it again. And we're going to use all the powers of the presidency to protect you. Um, which is not really encouraging as one looks at an election that could be super close. Um, no, it's not really encouraging. And it's not just Vladimir Putin who's getting that message. I think the message to the entire world is Donald Trump does not care what you do as long as it does not hurt Donald Trump. So have at it, everyone. You know, and that, that's a message that will be heeded not only by Putin, uh, but by North Korea, by Iran, by essentially every actor, and there are a great many of them, you know, there are, there are many, many, many dozens of them out there uh, who have an interest in messing with the United States, either in order to, to hurt us or simply to keep us distracted. 
you know, whether that whether the goal is to do actual immediate damage or simply to keep us busy and distracted so we we don't mess with them in some way or another. Um, you know, the the message is that it's it's completely open season on the U.S., our electoral systems, uh, and really pretty much everything else. Uh, just don't go after Donald Trump himself, and you can do whatever you do with impunity, unless you're China, in which case we may occasionally get mad at you, but not very mad at you, and it will be very inconsistent. Well, isn't that just the greatest weather report as we look forward to November? Um, uh, unfortunately, I think it's an accurate report, uh, and I think we're very fortunate to have had a discussion today with Mika, with Rosa, and with David. Uh, and of course, uh, we hope they are all back soon um, uh, to discuss the, uh, the, 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 the latest developments on all of this. It's easy to get caught up in uh, the, the excitement of primaries and elections, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, this, this spring, but I think we should keep our eye on the big election in November and what this set of events may mean for that. Uh, go to the dsrnetwork.com for more information about other upcoming podcasts. We've got another one uh, this week, which is a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with uh, one of America's uh, leading defense experts, former colleague of Rosa's, uh, Michelle Flournoy, and, um, and, and the usual roster of things next week, and more information about our upcoming event on May 21st. So go to the DSR network and you can get that information uh, then. So we'll, we'll see you all soon. Thanks guys for joining us and um, we'll be back on um, uh, tomorrow. Bye-bye. Uh, okay. Thank you, everybody. That was good. Thanks, David. Thanks guys. Great to talk thank to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wait, David, when is this May event? I, th I thought you'd previously said the 14th. Did I, was I just confused about that? I, I think.